dive in to the holiday season as we uh, really take these next few weeks to really reflect upon the story of Christmas, to enjoy it with our whole selves. Um, I am hopeful that as you came in today, uh, that you came ready to, to, to just look at the Christmas story. That's what the next few weeks are going to be. You know, sometimes we come in and we're really like, I, I need to know, you know, everything I can take away from it. In moments, sometimes we just need to observe and appreciate the beauty and the majesty of a story. And I want to say thank you. I'm glad that you would make this a part of your holiday season and that you've invited friends and family. As you came in today, uh, hopefully you received uh, a smaller version of one of these. If you got it, just hold it up over your head real high. Make sure you got it. Hey, that is yours, uh, a gift from uh, Movement Church to you. We'd love for you to hold on to it and even bring it back with you each week. So maybe set it with, with your Bible and your stuff that you gather together on Saturday night to come in. And we'd love for you to have it back here with you each week. Uh, how many of you remember these as kids? Remember having these? How many of you spent ridiculous amounts of time just staring through there? Just, ooh. Yeah? I'm the only one. That sounds about right. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. Maybe you've never seen one of these, a kaleidoscope before, or maybe uh, you do remember these. I, I just want to invite you. We're, we're all about enjoying the moment here. So I want to invite you to just go ahead and take that and shine it up, find you a light to shine it at, and just kind of twist it around and turn it. And, you know, as you, when, whenever you find the coolest image you've seen so far, you can just say, ooh. Y'all sound just as contrived as the last service when you do that. Thank you for humoring me. But they really are just the coolest thing. Uh, the kaleidoscope was invented. You feel free? Hey, if, if at any point in the service you're like, ah, he's boring me. Go ahead. Just flip up your kaleidoscope. Have a good old time. That'll give me a good metric uh, for how boring I really am. Uh, trust me, I already know. No, the kaleidoscope was actually invented uh, in 1816 really by accident. A physicist by the name of Sir David Brewster was doing some experiments with polarization and refraction of light and just happened to stumble across what became kind of a classic toy for generations. The word kaleidoscope is really interesting because it's the combination of two Greek words and it translates literally beautiful form. That's what kaleidoscope means. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Right? That as you're looking through that lens, you get all of these different magnificent images, these beautiful forms that you get to enjoy uh, as you look upon it. It's, it's really just comprised of, um, you know, some plastic fragments or glass. Some of the older ones even use colored pieces of paper. Uh, just gathered together in a tube with a few mirrors that are reflecting it and taking in all of the light. Here's the wild thing, though, about a kaleidoscope. A wild thing about how it's working as you look through it. And that is that it's all the same elements. But with the slightest turn, the image you see changes. It's all the same stuff. It's not as though, I don't know if you knew this, but it's not a magic trick. 
When you hold that up to your eye, it's not as though when you turn it, you know, from somewhere off in the ether, magically new images are coming in. No, it's the same mirrors. It's the same pieces of plastic or glass moving around in there. The reality is the image changes based on how it's presented to us. I remember when I was a kid, I would look in there and I would find one that I was like, oh, that looks so cool. And I would be like, okay, right there. Hey, 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 you need to look at this one. And I would go to hand it to a friend, right? You remember what happened when you did that? And they would bump it and say, you all stupid, you messed it up, <laughs> right? And what was crazy is then they would put it to there on there. They'd, no, no, this is really beautiful. See, there's still a beautiful form to behold, even though it changes how it's presented to us. See, that is the story of Christmas. It's a beautiful form. It's beauty beheld by different sets of eyes. All the same pieces, just seen differently. And so for us, for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is examine this majestic, glorious, timeless story through the eyes of those who first witnessed it. We're going to look through a Christmas kaleidoscope for the next several weeks together. And to do that, we're going to go to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1, if you've got a Bible or you have a tablet or something, you can turn there. Luke chapter 1, those of us joining online, we're glad to have you as well. You can just click up at the top, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 26. Once you've got it, you can just say, got it, Nate? Very good. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you don't, we'll have it right here on the screen for you. It reads like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was what? Mary. Mary. So the question for us this morning is what did the pieces look like as Mary gazed through that lens? How did they all fall together? What is the beautiful form that she gazed upon in this moment? So let's pick up with verse 28. Verse 28 says, And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You get to participate in the Christmas play this morning. You get the role that you always wanted today. You get to be the angel of the Lord. I'm just here trying to have fun. And y'all just, no. I want you to say this with me, okay? So you're going to be the angel. The angel, he came to her and said, Give yourselves a hand. That was fantastic. It was so good. Way to go. But as we read these words, we see immediately Mary's response. And what we see from her is she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern 
what sort of greeting this might be. So as we join with Mary and and look at the beautiful form that she is getting to witness in this moment, the first thing that we see is that Mary, as the unfolding of these events occurs, through her lens, there is understandable confusion. She she is stricken in this moment. This, this, This angel shows up out of nowhere in the middle of her house. Cool. Some of y'all have experienced that, I'm guessing. (laughs) An angel, an otherworldly being shows up in Mary's residence out of no. Here's the thing, y'all. I don't think you're with me. Y'all, I get freaked out when I turn the corner and my kids have come down the steps the same time I come around. (laughs) Right? This angel shows up seemingly out of nowhere in her home. So understandably, we read, and Mary was troubled, right? But catch this. This is what's really amazing. As you read this interaction, it was not the sight of this being that troubled her. This angel pops in right there. She's like, What's up? (laughs) Much like many of you would apparently be. (laughs) No, no, no. It wasn't the sight of the angel that troubled her. It was the saying. It was the words that the angel spoke that caused her understandable confusion. He comes and greets her with the words, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Excuse me, what? What are you doing here? Why why this place? Why this town? Why, Why me? Because here's the thing that we can't miss. Is that first of all, This angel, Gabriel, is making this declaration to a young girl from the city of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, for those of us gathered here today, we hear Nazareth, we're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. That's where Jesus grew up. That's where all the fun, that's where the party's at, man, right? But here's what we need to understand as we look through the lens as Mary did. Nazareth. If God is going to send a messenger to someone somewhere, this is really not the place. Because Nazareth is not some booming metropolis. It is not a destination city. Nazareth, at best, what we know of it is that it was a small farming settlement. It was a small village that was settled by really just a few families. And at the time of this announcement, at the time of the birth of Jesus, we've got some pretty good idea that the population was a few hundred at most. So the the entire village would have been smaller than this one service. So, So here they are in Nazareth. This angel comes to make this announcement to this isolated place. 
archaeologist, Dr. Yardenia Alexandra. She's with the uh, Israeli Antiquities Authority. Uh, she's done all kinds of digs in this area. And she explains how Nazareth was pretty geographically isolated. It kind of sits in a basin of sorts at this time, and it's surrounded by hills, and there's no major roadway that goes through this city. In fact, she said in one of her articles that people didn't go through Nazareth unless they specifically wanted to go there. That was the place they intended to be, and that was really the reason it remained a small site until the 19th century. So if you think about this city and you place it against, you think about a place where we logically would say you should send an angelic visitor. Well, just less than a day's journey, just a few hours up the road, uh, we would have found from Nazareth this little uh, city, by comparison, much larger, called Sephoris. Josephus, the Jewish historian, referred to this city specifically as the ornament of Galilee. And we don't know for sure, again, these are estimates, but many have estimated that the population of that city was probably tens of thousands. So you got Nazareth, a few hundred, you got Sephoris, tens of thousands, and then one that we're familiar with, right? How many of you know this one? Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this time probably, and these are conservative estimates, would have numbered 100,000 or more in its population. So the idea is this. Nazareth wasn't really coming up as a place to punch into your GPS as you load it up on your camel to go have some fun. <laughs> it just wasn't. It's like when people ask me, well, where did you, where did you guys move from? How, do, how did you end up here? Where did you come from? And I'll say North Carolina, right? I'm like, oh, North Carolina. Yeah, what part of North Carolina? Well, we come from Asheville. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. But sometimes they'll say, yeah, Asheville. We've been to Asheville before. I'm like, oh, well, actually then we're from Hendersonville. And then, and then, you know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that's a sweet little town. Sometimes we'll be like, oh, yeah? <laughs> but if they're like, oh, yeah, I know Henderson. You're like, oh, well, cool. Well, we're actually from, I, I grew up just south of Flat Rock, um, just, just outside of a little town called Saluda, population 524. And that's the point at which they go, oh. <laughs> right? Because it's a no-name place. There's, there's nothing about it. So hear me. Why do we bring this up? Because the understandable confusion is this. Mary's world was very, very small. And now, this young, Jewish, likely uneducated teenage no one from this tiny little no-name, not even a dot on the map, at that time, village is greeted. And all of a sudden, her world goes from very, very small to larger than she could ever imagine. And as if that wasn't enough, the angel doesn't stop with just showing up and saying, greetings, favored one. As if that weren't enough that you would come to this teenage girl, this no one from nowhere. What he says next is earth shaking. Behold, you will what? Conceive. 
okay if I'm Mary, which I am not, but if I am, he says, you will conceive. I'm going to go, whoa, partner, hold up. Little whistle flag on the play, offsides, play it back for me. I'm not sure we're on the same page here. What do you mean I will conceive? Because Mary's response to this is, is naturally this thought process of, wait, wait, I don't, I don't know. There's more confusion, right? Now, what I love, don't miss this, what I love is Mary doesn't doubt that that can happen. It's, it's, not, it's not like Zechariah that we'll talk about in a couple weeks. It's not like where Zechariah says, oh, there's no way that can happen. Mary doesn't doubt that it can. She just says, how? How will this be? Right? She's looking at the angel and going, angel, uh, just a couple years ago, I had this thing called the talk with my mom. Some of you, one o'clock this afternoon, but oh, I get it. She's saying, Angel, that's not how this works. I've never been with a man, and I'm certain based on what my mom told me that that's how this has to come about. So now there's this contradiction, this juxtaposition taking place in her mind. How am I supposed to conceive when I haven't been with a man? So the, the confusion is understandable, right? So there's understandable confusion. As an aside, and I say it as an aside because, listen, we're observing the next few weeks. We're not trying to place ourselves within this part of the story because here's the good news. You already get to be a part of the Christmas story 2,000 years later. But as an aside worth noting for some of us in this room today is that as we look through Mary's lens, we get to remember or maybe find comfort more accurately in the fact that Christmas doesn't always come with just great joy. That's just not how it works. Now hear me, that's certainly the primary message that we are going to get to in just a few short weeks. But in Mary's story, in her and through her lens, we get to see that 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 joy, within that joy, there are also some swirls of confusion. There are also some specks of question, some things that made her go, now wait a minute. And so for us, the encouragement can be, though we are not married, though this is not what is being asked of us, Christmas isn't always just this singular piece that is great joy. It is great joy intermingled with confusion and questions. But that, hear me, that does in no way make the image any less beautiful to behold. And in fact, without some of the confusion and the questions, we wouldn't get the full picture of God in that moment because it's the confusion and the questions that drive us further in to inspect a little bit more closely. Amen? So for some of you this Christmas, you may have confusion and questions, but you can know as as we see this in Mary's life, that you can still behold the beautiful form that is Christmas. Which brings us to the fact that even in the midst of her understandable confusion, Mary also still discovered and experienced incomparable favor. Yes, there are questions. Yes, she's trying to figure out, like, 
what does this greeting mean? What are you saying to me? Yes, she's trying to figure out how in the world is this going to happen? I've never even been with a man, but even still, she experiences incomparable favor. On two separate occasions in this interaction, spoken by the angel Gabriel, we read that very word. He starts by saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then again, we see that repeated in verse, excuse me, 31. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I want to pause to address something uh, lovingly because no doubt, Some of you grew up in a religious tradition in which you heard it taught that that greeting, hail favored one, was Gabriel somehow referring to Mary as one preserved from sin. In fact, on December 8th of 1854, it was Pope Pius IX actually made the following decree. The most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race. The most blessed Virgin Mary was preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Lovingly, I say, this is wrong. It's just not accurate. You say, but the Pope said it. (laughs) Well, the Pope is not preserved from original sin. (laughs) And he was wrong. Because the reality is that even Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. So he is the one who came to set the standard. He was the bar. He was the glory. And Mary was one of us. She was simply a vessel of the grace of God. She was simply, as that very word means, the reality is that phrase, favored one in the Greek, is ke harito mene. Ke harito mene. And in the middle of that is the word charis, grace or gift of grace. And so what we need to understand is that what Mary received was because of God's goodness. It was his grace extended to her. And it was her saying, I I want to receive this in this moment as this angel is speaking over it. Plainly stated, Mary was not a source in any way of the grace of God. She was a recipient. You say, Nate, why does this matter? Why are we talking about this with favor? Because if we look through the lens through which Mary did, If we see this unfolding in front of us, as she did on that very first Christmas, 
It allows us to see and appreciate that the entirety of God's plan to right the wrong, to save us, to ultimately work in and through us, to tell others about him is the work of a perfect, sinless God working through broken but redeemed vessels. That's the encouragement that we find. That's the favor. Broken but redeemed, just like Mary, just like me, just like you. So what then does this favor look like? What was the favor? Well, the favor was the work that he was about to do in her life. If you look at Luke 135, look at what it reads. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Pause. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's easy for us, Mark, to read that and be like, yep, seen that before. Know that phrase? We understand. Now hear me. I mentioned it already. Mary was likely uh, uneducated, but it doesn't change that she had a heritage, okay? It doesn't change how she grew up. I already gave it away to you, but let's do a pop quiz to see if you're listening. (laughs) What was Mary's cultural and religious upbringing? Jewish. You did great. You get a gold star. Uh, There's a piece of knowledge you can use on Jeopardy. It'll probably only get you 200 points, but She was Jewish. So from the time she was toddling around on a dirt floor around her mother and father and around her grandparents, she has heard this phrase, even though she didn't grow up in a traditional setting where she was outright taught these things, she still grew up in this family and she knows this phrase, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. She knows this phrase because it was The phrase, the Holy Spirit came upon David as he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. The Holy Spirit came upon the judge, Samuel, who was able to take and rip apart a lion by his jaws with his bare hands. She knows the Holy Spirit came upon Moses who led her people out of captivity. She knows the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon who destroyed the altars of Baal. And at the very least, she knows the Holy Spirit came upon the prophets who spoke to the nation of Israel and the very ones who spoke of a coming Messiah. So she knows this phrase. Come on with me. Any athletes in the room? At all? Really? So all the athletes were in the last service. Awesome. <laughs> any of you play basketball or golf growing up or anything like that? Right? How many, any musicians? We got any musicians in the room? Got a few of you. That's great. Think of it this way with me, okay? This phrase would have meant something to her. Now, now, no doubt, I was discussing this with Andy between the services. No doubt we need to understand that the Holy Spirit coming upon her was an actual supernatural empowering. We can't miss that. But but we need to know it meant something to her. This phrase triggered something in her mind and in her heart. If you grew up, let's say, playing golf and someone walked up to you at the age of, say, 15, 16 and watched you play around a golf and said, wow, that's amazing. You're going to be the next Tiger Woods. That means something to you, right? You're familiar with that. 
And someone watches you play basketball and they're like, wow, that is amazing. That's really impressive. You're going to be the next LeBron James. Like it means something to you. It means that you're going to be number two. <laughs> I will get the most emails for that comment. If someone says that, it it would resonate, it would register with you because you have a context to apply that. Hear me again, whatever the case, Mary has heard this before. And now all of a sudden the angel is saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Whoa, this is favor. To be a part of the story of God in the earth. But it goes on because the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Listen to this. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. Listen to what else is said. In the verses prior to that, Gabriel says, Behold, you will conceive, you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 31. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Don't miss that. And the Lord will give to him the throne, don't miss this, of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Again, don't miss this. She had heard. She had at least heard of the one who would come. From the Shevat Yehuda, the Mashiach bin David, the one who would come from the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, son of David. And now, those tidbits she had heard over the years are being spoken from the lips of an angelic being who said, Now you will carry that one in your womb. This is favor. And because Mary heard this, and because of what she did next, we now have the privilege of knowing that same favor because through her lens, lastly, we see extraordinary willingness. Understandable confusion, yes. Incomparable favor, but extraordinary willingness. Do we have any roller coaster fans in the room? Yeah? A few of you. Anybody who hates them? I've asked that question before. Like, it makes your palms sweat that I just brought it up, doesn't it? Like, you don't. Merry Christmas. Um, Our family is full of people who love roller coasters. Uh, My wife and I absolutely love hopping on roller coasters. I am a big roller coaster enthusiast now. So let's take a moment and talk about the human condition, right? Let's talk about what it feels like when we're presented with something uncertain, something that we don't feel so great about. I can remember uh, this beautiful lady down here. We started dating when we were in high school. And for our senior trip, I know nowadays senior trips, sometimes you hear about these kids, they're going on these big trips here and this place. And now there's schools that take trips overseas for a senior trip. Man, we went on our senior trip to Six Flags over Georgia. (laughs) Whole hair. 
But we got to, to Six Flags that day, and we hopped off of the bus, and we head into the park. We're scanned in. The first thing that beautiful girl says to me is, hey, I've got an idea. Let's start this off right. Let's run over to the other side of the park, and let's hop on the Riddler Mindbender. <laughs> A roller coaster aptly named the Mindbender. We get in there. She's so excited. She's like, let's do this. What do you think? Let's do this. And I'm like, hey, yeah, let's, I, yeah, okay. Uh, or hear me out. We could be the first ones to go ride the log jamboree. Or if you're really feeling all kinds of thrillish, let's go hang out on the Dodge City bumper cars. Right? To me, that was a big ask in that moment because I, I did not do roller coasters up to this point. I, I had no desire to. I was absolutely terrified of the concept of it. Uh, but it, it'll show you how persuasive she is. I did end up riding the mind bender that day because, I mean, she was cute, man. I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> So I wrote the Mindbender, and as you all are fully aware, I have not been right since. So, but here's the thing. There's something within us, right? When a big ask or, or, or a big opportunity is presented to us, especially where there's uncertainty. For us to look at that and go, oh, I don't know, Seth. Like, I don't, I don't, hmm. I'm not feeling it. In the small things, in the really huge things in life. But let's take a cue as we close from Mary's response. Mary responded to all of this by saying, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her prayerful response to this messenger of God was, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the Greek, that little phrase, let it be, is genomai. I love this, genomai. Comes from a word study, a help studies on this. Genomai speaks of the transitioning from one point, catch this, or what? Transitioning from one realm to another. She responds by saying, let it be. Let it come from one realm to another. Don't miss this. Mary, her response was quite literally the very prayer that the one she would carry would one day teach his disciples. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. She says, let it be. Whatever the God of the universe has planned in the heavens let it come to earth. I'll be the vessel. But if you take it even a step further, genomai fundamentally means to become. 
It's ongoing. It's continual. It's not a singular moment. She was saying in response to these words, let it become so. Hear me. In a sense, she was saying, let me become according to your word. Think about that, will you? Consider that, will you? Mary's willingness in that moment 2,000 years ago has forever changed us. Don't, Don't miss this. Her willingness to simply say, let it be, transforms. You know, it's wild how sometimes when we just say yes to something God asks, it turns into something different within our hearts. That, that willingness transforms into worship. Because as you read on, you'll see her interaction with her cousin as she goes to greet Elizabeth. And in that moment, she is given a supernatural song to praise the Lord. Off of her lips come praises like none other, prophetic words and utterances like none other. Her willingness became worship. And in time, that worship became wonder at the birth of the Christ child as she ponders all of these pieces and the magnificence of the God of the universe bringing them all together for her to witness. Hear me. What if we just caught that spirit this Christmas? Let it be. Let it become Lord, let me become, now don't get me wrong, none none of you are being asked about the high task, as we're going to see next week, of what Mary shouldered, what she took on. But, But what if we saw in her life something that we chose to adopt into our own lives? Something in her life that was a move of the Holy Spirit in her. What if we too said, let it be? What if we love deeply, live boldly? What if, listen, what if, what if when a, a voice of God in your life came and said, whether it's a, a pastor or a ministry leader or, or a friend or a neighbor, came and said, hey, have you considered doing this? Can I, can I ask you something? Why do we keep having to pray about things done for God? I'm just being honest with you. If God opens an opportunity where, where a voice, a messenger says, hey, you should try. Guess what? You should try. Well, let me pray about it. No, don't pray about it. Get off your blessed assurance and do something. (laughs) Right? Like, no, 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 I'm supposed to pray about it. No, here's the thing. Until you know the God, the thing that God has asked you to do, do the thing that's in front of you now. That was a word and some of y'all were like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) What if we just clung to that with our whole selves? How would it change us? How would it change our families, our children? Let it be according to your word. Not my preference. Not my well thought out plan. Let it be according to your word. What would you have happen in this, God? And so there we have it the lens that is Mary's kaleidoscope. I encourage you this week, your action steps are listed there on the back. Read through this passage. 
Don't just consider it said and done now that we did it here on a Sunday. Listen, don't, don't go home satisfied to drink a cup of milk on Sunday and then not eat any meat the rest of the week. Go home and consider this passage. Read through Luke 1, 26 through 38 each day this week as a reflection for you. And listen, hear me, pause to consider the wonder of this whole interaction. Don't just read through, yeah, I've heard that before. No, 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 no. Soak it in. Think about what it really means for you right now. But more than that, think about what it means to get to see this part of the story of God. Because that's what the story is about, not you. Sorry to offend. Again, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Ask yourself this week, how might I be more receptive to the grace of God? How might I demonstrate an extraordinary willingness? Let it be. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And as we leave from this place, I know it's the utterance on my heart. I pray it is the same for so many gathered here and online. That we stand in awe and wonder of what you did in and through the life of your servant Mary. How our Savior came as a result of this moment that we've read about today. And Lord, let us be a people who go and share this with others. We love you. We praise you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.